All right, this is the longest chapter in 1 Timothy. It's 25 verses long. And uh, we will go through it all tonight, but uh, there is much of it that does not really apply to us. Uh, In fact, from verses 3 all the way down to 16, it talks about a subject called widows indeed. And um, just because of the way our country is, in four decades as a pastor, I've never run across a situation like this where I've known of a widow indeed, according to the uh, description here. Uh, But we'll go through it anyways, because there's there's other nuggets in here, spiritual nuggets that can help us. So we'll go through that anyways. But uh, if you're new, the pastoral epistles, this is letters. That word epistles means letters to pastors. There's three of them in the New Testament, 66 books uh, in uh, the Bible, but there's three. 1,189 chapters in the Bible, but 13 of them are given to instructions to pastors. So not a lot, but we want to study them as we, uh, of course, transition along this year in leadership here at our church. So these are written to pastors, but there's a lot of stuff in here that, that helps everybody, and so we're trying to pick that out. Now, the pastor has to try to establish a family-type atmosphere in the church in verses 1 and 2. He is to be personally responsible uh, for establishing a family-type atmosphere. He is told in verse 1, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. Now keep in context, Paul is talking to a young man, a young man named Timothy, and he's saying, look, you're a young man, don't go rebuking the older men in the church. Uh, now, they may need to be confronted. I mean, sometimes old men are off the rails. And they might need to be confronted about their behavior or doctrine or something like that. But he says it's not, it's not becoming of a young pastor to start rebuking elders. So he says, rebuke not an elder, but how? And treat him as a father, like your dad. And so he's, he's establishing a family type of atmosphere in the body of Christ. And the younger men as brethren. Treat every younger man your age like your brother. And uh, then he says in verse 2, the elder women as mothers. This is how he's supposed to treat. The pastor is supposed to treat elder women in the church as mothers. And then the younger women as sisters. Uh, So if, you know, a lot of times the church will take on the personality of the pastor somewhat. And if he's like a family, if he's trying to establish that this is a family of brothers and sisters in the Lord, and the older men are like a father to me, the older women are like a mother to me, the younger men are like brothers, the younger as sisters, um, that's going to help the church. That's going to, rather than having some, you know, once in a while you see a pastor, looks like he just left the Marine Corps or something, and, was a drill instructor or something, and he's going to pastor the church that way. And it usually doesn't fly, uh, but uh, this is some good advice to start with. The younger and the younger sisters, with all purity. There's a little caveat there after the younger sisters, uh, because we certainly would want, would not want that to be a trap, as uh, uh, we we want the whole church to be filled with younger women. 
but we want them to know that there is a place on earth where they're safe and uh, where, where they can be treated like a sister. A sister. And the men come to church and say, these are my sisters in the Lord. And they feel comfortable, at least here. Sometimes out in the world, it's pretty tough for them to be, feel comfortable the way the world is towards younger women. Now, verse 3 down through 16 talks about widows indeed. Honor widows that are widows indeed. That word indeed means truly. Verse 5, now she that is a widow indeed. Verse 11, but the younger widows. Verse 16, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. And so there's been some instruction to the church already on women back in chapter 2. And uh, now we see also the church is not supposed to forget the widows. Now, we live in a country where I've never met a widow uh, described like we're going to see here. But they did. Keep in mind that when this was written, they didn't have Medicare Part A, Medicare Part B, Social Security, 401Ks. They didn't have husbands' pensions that they could live off if he died. And, and they didn't have any of that. They didn't have any of that. And so many in these areas of Asia were poor women. And uh, so many in Jerusalem were poor women. And uh, some of them would become desolate. Literally, their husband died, their children died. There's no extended family, even as we're going to see, to take care of them. And then the church was responsible to pick them up for support. Now, if you read about tithing originally in the Old Testament, tithing was to support three groups, not one. Three groups, the Levites, who were in charge of the tabernacle and the work of the Lord. Uh, The Lord said, I don't want them going out to work. I want the the, the other uh, 11 tribes, or 12 tribes, actually to bring, they divided Joseph up into Manasseh and Ephraim, the 12 tribes bring their tithes so the Levites can, and the priests can live of that so my work will not be neglected. So that's where we get the model, and we'll see that brought out later in the chapter. But also the tithes were supposed to be used to support strangers. That means like aliens that are they're passing through and, and, and they, have, they have nothing. But also widows. Widows. And um, you can read that described in Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 through 29 and other places where tithes were not just for the Levites but also for the widows and for the stranger. So, um, but we haven't really uh, encountered that uh, other than the servants of God. So what in the world are widows indeed back then? It says, but if any widow have children, now notice the next word, or nephews. So to be a widow indeed, you're not only do your children have to be dead or gone, but even your extended family of nephews should be caring for you, their aunt. And again, like I said, I've never seen a case like this. 
Let them, the children or nephews, your extended family, learn first to show piety at home. Reverence is what that word piety means. And to requit their parents. Now, requit in verse 4 means to pay them back as a recompense. In other words, for instance, in our society, parents pretty much take care of their children the first 18 years, no charge. And you'd be surprised by the time you're 18 how much your parents have invested in you. Or 20 or 21. And now they's 35. <laughs> but uh, but your, your parents have put a lot into you at the beginning of your life. And what the Bible's saying is that we need to care for them at the end of their life, especially if they're in a situation like this where they are a widow. So that's what the word requit means, is to pay them back. Feel like you owe owe a debt. Uh, Don't forsake your mother when she is old, it tells us in the book of Proverbs. For that is good and acceptable before God. Well, that ought to kind of put an exclamation point at the end of verse 4. That's good and acceptable when sons and daughters look out after their parents. Now, I don't know about your parents, but ours took very good care of themselves. And again, that's a, 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 just a, a blessing for living in America, I guess, is that uh, so many of them don't really need too much care at the end of their lives, but some do, and we should feel a responsibility to do that. Verse number five, now she that is a widow indeed and desolate. I mean, there's nobody left. No immediate family, no extended family. Notice what she does. She trusts in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. It's the only way she can make it is to pray and say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And uh, so this is uh, a woman here who really is trusting in God and praying supplications night and day. And then the Lord uh, steps in in this situation and has the church support a widow like this. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Now there's going to be a contrast here. In this text, between spiritual widows and ungodly widows, some, some widows go off the rails, even morally, after they, uh, their husband dies. And this contrasts them. You've maybe seen this before, and uh, I have. Um, they break the bonds of marriage because of death. That's what breaks the bonds of marriage, death. And then I'm free. And all of a sudden they are tempted. And we're going to see Satan in the picture here uh, in a few verses. Uh, he goes after them. Uh, he goes after women who have lost a husband. A husband should be naturally a, a protector, not only physically but also spiritually of his wife. But when that's gone, sometimes protection has gone. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Now there's a good verse just to isolate sometime because people think living in pleasure they're going to be alive. But living in pleasure they're dead. Pretty soon they're pretty miserable, depressed, 
and uh, convicted, guilty. Uh, they got a lot of shame. And these things given a charge, verse 7, that they may be blameless. So it's saying to the widows here, by, by a charge, that's a military term, that they may be blameless. We saw the word blameless earlier in our study in chapter 3 regarding bishops and deacons. Bishops should be blameless. Deacons should be blameless. Widows should be blameless. So you married ladies might want to just put this in reserve someday because your husband might die. And put this in reserve so you know that, hey, the Bible addresses this stage of life. And I need to be blameless and I need to be the widow that shows the world that I'm trusting in God. That I'm praying night and day and God is meeting my needs. And I don't have to run off and be crazy and and uh, blow up my testimony. Now back to the family, verse 8, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And so again, we see here the same truth we saw back in verse 4, as we're supposed to requit our parents in verse 4. Here it says that if we don't provide for his own house, he has denied the faith. I mean, that is so rudimentary to our faith that you should take care of your family. That, that, that a person who doesn't, that person's worse than an infidel. It doesn't say they're like an infidel. It says they're worse than an infidel. And such is the case. Once in a while, you'll see a father just totally forsake his wife and kids and run off and, and never care for them again. That's a horrible thing. That person has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And uh, we got to watch out for that in practice and make sure that it's never taught in uh, the guise of spirituality. We saw last year when we were studying the Gospel of Mark all year that Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 and verse number 10, Moses said, Honor thy father and mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such like things do ye. And so they were teaching a wicked doctrine that, that said, look, bring your money into the temple, forget about your parents. And um, it's Corbin, it's a gift, God will understand. No, God doesn't understand. He says, honor your father and your mother. And as I said last year, I'll say again, if it comes between tithing and giving offerings to the Lord through the church or taking care of your parents, God wants you to take care of your parents. Now, fortunately, we don't have really that much, many situations like that. Um, but uh, that's what he taught. He said, you made the word of God of no effect by saying, just bring the gift to the temple. And it showed their greed for filthy lucre uh, and uh, the abandonment of someone's family. No, no. We get this, uh, we, we have this saying sometimes, charity begins at home. That's based on a lot of scripture. It really is based on a lot of scripture. 
Uh, and when you get your, you know, if you get your family uh, taken care of, then go back to giving to the Lord again. I'm not saying don't do that. But uh, what I just said is so rare, so odd to come across a pulpit that uh, some people are scratching their heads. But we need to take care of our family. We need to, if, we have, if we don't, we have denied the faith. We are worse than an infidel. Well, that doesn't mean take care of your family and all your bills and everything because we were dumb with our money and uh, wasted it and brought about the situation ourselves. But Now it says in verse 9, Let not a widow be taken into the number under three score old, uh, years old. So now we have some guidelines for the church back then. She had to be 60, having been the wife of one man. And then notice, well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children, I don't know whatever happened to them, if she have lodged strangers, she shows hospitality, if she have washed the saints' feet, she's been a servant of the Lord's people, the church, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work, then she could be taken into the number, verse 9, and supported by the church. Now, if you're a thinking woman tonight, when should you start doing that? I would start doing that while you're young. There's a good sermon there for young ladies right there. Be well reported for good works. Be brought up, bring up your children the best you can, lodge strangers. Be hospitable. Wash the saints' feet. Be a humble servant of the church, the Lord's people. Relieve the afflicted. Diligently follow every good work. If, if, if I was a young woman, I would start doing those things now. I mean, that, that's probably, I don't know, I don't think it would ever happen in America, but, but if it, what if it did? I'd, I'd certainly want to be qualified. I wouldn't want to say, well, I did that for two weeks. No, I, I, would, I would want to have a pattern of good works for years and years and years and years and years where the church would see, yeah, we we got to help her. And by the way, the church should help other widows too because sometimes their income, you know, really drops. And we do try to help widows with alms. And, um, you know, I appreciate some of you. Well, I won't, I won't even bring it up. Something going on right exactly this, this day in our church with a widow that we're trying to help. But the younger widows refuse for when they begin to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. Now, these are the ones that are talked about. I believe this, this comes up again in verse 6. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. That's what the word wanton means, where this younger widow has impulses of a physical nature, a physical desire of the flesh, and she just kind of runs off and, and, and gets married and goes crazy uh, with no regard for trusting God she's one of those desperate women who thinks she's got to have a man she can't make it without a man maybe marriage the first thing that comes along and that's sad to watch sometimes uh, how people's faith really fails when it's tested when they're really tested how they're, you find out what their faith is really like we saw that with COVID didn't we boy a bunch of believers cracked up during that 
and um, found out they didn't have any faith, just fear. But they will marry having damnation. This word has many meanings in the Scriptures, this one being judgment, because they have cast off, that is, they've disregarded, they've despised, they've frustrated their first faith. And uh, not only do they run to relationships trying to find security rather than running to God, but with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also in busybodies speaking things which they ought not. And so, at least for a season, they're just a complete train wreck as a woman of the faith. And um, so sometimes our faith and our minds or emotions can be very fragile things when tested severely. But we need to get behind them and pray for them. And because uh, some of them recover, they do, and they become really good, strong Christians. They get their feet back under them. But sometimes we get our feet knocked out from us. And, and boy, I tell you, you know, we always tell women when their husbands die, don't do anything for a year. Don't make any major decisions. Don't, you know, just grieve, sorrow. Stay close to God. Don't be rash. Verse 14, I will therefore that the younger women marry, <coughs> bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now here comes the devil again. He's mentioned he's called the adversary. We saw him back with the bishop twice. Now he's with these young ladies. Boy, he pounces on these young ladies, doesn't he? He pounces on young widows. He's heartless. Here your husband just died and then he pounces on you. Um, he, he's just he's heartless. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. First Peter 5 and verse 8 tells us that. That's what the devil's like. He just tries to devour people. And that word devour means to take the last bite. Picture a lion just devouring something, a carcass, until he takes the last bite. That's what he wants to do to younger women. Especially when they go through these real trials. So, it's okay to marry only in the Lord. And that's the suggestion. I will therefore, now he's talking to all younger women, single women. Younger women, marry. Don't, don't, don't be afraid to marry. Bear children. Now make sure you wait for God's man. Bear children. Uh, every age, God has helped people raise children, even the dark ages. Um, guide the house. It's okay to stay at home. We'll get to that later in the book of Titus. It's a great place for a woman to be, is at home, raising the children. They need somebody to be there. Guide the house. And uh, then it says uh, here, uh, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. So let that be a goal of every lady, single or married, saying, I am not going to give the devil an occasion to speak evil of me. Uh, maybe somebody falsely will speak evil of me, but I'm not going to give them an occasion to speak evil of me. Every woman should say, I'm, I'm going to have a testimony. I'm going to stand for God. I'm going to be a good testimony. And uh, I'm not going to give one single occasion for the devil, the adversary, to speak reproachfully and, and all of his minions. That would be a waste of a life, wouldn't it? 
Sadly, verse 15, Paul saw this in his day, for some are already turned aside after Satan. What a frightening statement. How far some can fall uh, who are in the faith, maybe single women or widows. Uh, the devil's after women. Uh, how do we know that? A lady named Eve. Yeah. First thing he did was it went after her. Didn't go after Adam, went after Eve. And so you ladies need to stay close to the Lord every day of your life. You need to have a walk with God. Stay close to the shepherd. Uh, the shepherd, his rod and staff will comfort us. You know what that's for? That's for beating away the lions. You know, you stay close. The, the safest, safest woman is the one who's the closest to Jesus Christ. And that's where you want to be. You don't want to be a sermon illustration someday. <laughs> Try not to do that, but once in a while one slips out. But How sad. Some are already turned aside after Satan. So the pastor here in this text is, is, is taught by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, through Paul, that, that he's got to deal with women in the ministry too. And there's some good stuff there for ladies, right there, good standards and, and behavior to live up to. So the conclusion of the, the widow's thing, it comes back in verse 16, if any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them. Again, here's the third time now, the family is the one that is expected to relieve widows, not the church, the family. And uh, not, not that the church should be heartless, we can help. But if any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. And so this was a big issue in the days when the Bible was written, but not here in America. Now I suppose there's a lot of poor third world countries where this text would certainly come in and the local church should be trying to help those that are widows indeed. Truly widows. Now we come down to some more like miscellaneous items here. Let the elders that rule well, verse 17, be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. I think I mentioned that Sunday night in the sermon. There's got to be some people who are laboring in the Word of God and what we call the Bible today and doctrine, sound teaching, because there's so many seducing spirits and doctrines of devils these days. And it's talking here about the pay, the pay of the preacher. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. That word honor is time, the Greek word, which means money in other texts. Especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So the church should try to do its best to take care of the preacher if they can. Now there's so many Country churches where the I've known pastors who spent their whole ministry being bivocational because the church never grew to the point where the stewardship was enough to support him. 
full-time as a pastor, and I really just have so much respect for those. But in 1 Corinthians 9, I'm going to read verses 6 through 14 for you. You can just listen. It says, Or I only in Barnabas have not we power to forbear working. Who goeth a warfare at any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard? And eateth not of the fruit thereof, or who feedeth a flock, and eateth not of the milk of the flock. Say I these things as a man, or saith also the law, the same also. For it is written in the law, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care of oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, that is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing. Is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should so be done unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, yea, necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And so Paul chose to be a worker, to be a tent maker, but he also said in that text, by the Holy Spirit, they that live of the gospel, uh, preach the gospel, should live of the gospel. So, That's what this is talking about in the pastoral epistles is paying the preacher and taking care of them. And and personally, I just think it's so much better if a church can have a full-time pastor than one who's working all week long and burnt out. (laughs) Although those guys are so noble, such soldiers of the cross, and I've seen uh, many of them do it successfully. but the church never grows to the point where the stewardship takes care of them, and especially, I'm sure, in some very poor countries. Verse 19, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Okay, so don't believe rumors and uh, backbiting and false uh, accusations and stuff. Against an elder... What about an elder that goes wrong? Somebody says, well, what about that? If we don't have a board of deacons and a... Well, it says, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. There got to be two or three witnesses of his behavior, whether it's, you know, whatever, immoral or he's embezzled money or I don't know what preachers might do. But um, there needs to be two or three eyewitnesses of that. Uh, accusation. And then, and this is the only case 
Verse 20, them that sin rebuke before all that others may also, that others also may fear. And so if this is the case of public rebuke, I don't know about this church discipline, churching people where they make people stand up and confess their sins. Before. I don't know where that is in the Bible. But if a preacher goes astray and there's two or three witnesses, then that needs to be brought to the congregation. And uh, the preacher removed. Um, on the other hand, we have verses that when it, when it talks about when you know something about somebody else, let me just give you a few verses here. Proverbs 10 and verse 12 says, Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. Go to the person privately, individually, face to face, but don't broadcast it. Don't broadcast it. Proverbs 17.9, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. Proverbs 20, verse 13, Love not sleep. Oops, that's the wrong one. That's a good one, though. Oh well, First Peter in the New Testament says in chapter four and verse eight, and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. So when you know something about somebody, you go up to them directly, privately, and you keep it private, and you work that thing out, you know. And if not, then you take a witness with you. And uh, then you bring it to the church only after the, if the person is, is in something that they just absolutely were not going to repent of, then we've got to deal with it as a church. But um, if the preacher falls, boy, then, then them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear, that, that should be made public. And the preacher removed or maybe given a sabbatical for a time or something. Uh, I don't know, I guess this does happen sometimes and it's sad when you hear it, but it's very rare, it's very rare. Uh, there's about 14,000 independent Baptist churches just in America. And I guess once in a while there's a bad egg, but most of them have been faithful and just love the Lord and trying to do God's work and trying to be righteous about it. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these sayings with, without preferring one another, doing nothing by partiality. And so I think that's kind of a summation of the whole chapter uh, with all the widows and everything and so on. And it's quite a charge. Without preferring one another, that's partiality, that's a sin as described in the uh, James chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. There ought not to be partiality in the church. And if you see that James talked about, so you see people come in with real expensive clothing and some other poor people, you should not have respect towards one or the other, uh, but treat everybody equally. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Well, Spurgeon says this on the back. This is what he thinks the verse means. 
We all have abundant reason to look at home and worry about our own sins. Nothing can be more absurd than for a man to take his hoe and weed everybody else's garden and leave all the thorns and thistles to flourish in his own plot. If, as our proverb puts it, charity begins at home, so should criticism. And criticism concerning character had better stop there. There is so much dirty linen in our own house needing to be washed that none of us need to take in our neighbor's washing. The Apostle Paul was inspired to write to the Thessalonians, you study to be quiet and to do your own business. And he and Peter sternly condemned those who were busybodies worrying about the concerns of others. I always like how Spurgeon's down to earth. And when he spoke, you knew what he meant. All right, so let's, let's just kind of focus on ourselves. You know, judge ourselves. Let's get the dirty laundry in our own homes and lives clean before we go around laying hands suddenly upon no man. Kind of this, this verse 22 kind of reminds me of the story in John 8 about the guys that hauled off the woman taken in adultery and threw her down at Jesus' feet and said, we just caught this woman in the act of adultery. I don't know what Jesus said to them, but they all left quietly. All those men left quietly, and I think some of you men probably know why they left quietly. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Now, we have some personal, uh, a lot of this is personal to Timothy and his peculiar ministry there in Ephesus. This one is definitely verse 23, although I've heard it used by people that try to promote universal social drinking. <clears throat> it says, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Timothy was a sickly pastor. All right? And he had struggles with fear. If you read some of the other things we've already read or, and will read, he, he struggled with fear. He was a young man. He, he had uh, um, hesitations because people would despise his youth. He also had a lot of stomach problems, health problems. And I just want to bring that out just to say that just because you're not a picture-perfect, healthy man doesn't mean God's not going to call you. And use you. In fact, Paul never was that perfect in his health either. And uh, because of his often infirmities, Paul said, I learned how to have the grace of God bestowed upon me and how to function in weakness. And he said, you know, when I'm weak, then God's power rests upon me because I rely on God more than some guy who's physically perfectly fit and just relies on his own flesh and his own character, and his own discipline, which is good to have good health and character and discipline. But Timothy was a sickly young preacher, stomach problems. Boy, have I met pastors with stomach problems. I had my own for so long until the Lord showed me what to do and cured it. Amen, hallelujah. I mean, completely cured it. Hallelujah, thank you for that. And I appreciate the doctor who helped me with that. He figured out one day what was wrong with me and fixed me. 
A little bit of medicine. Yes, what a blessing. What a blessing. Thank God for what we have today. But wine was sometimes used medicinally, and sometimes it was used as an antiseptic, and perhaps Paul is indicating here that it was the water he was drinking. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was the water he was drinking that made him sick. That sure happened to me once when I was in Korea. Don't drink the water. That's what they told us, so we always drank on base. Well, I went out to a restaurant one day and got a Coke or something like that and had ice in it. And man, I was a sick puppy for about a week. Oh, boy, because of the water. Anyway, drinking the longer water. You know, don't take that literally. For us, we have, we have the Culligan Man and we got uh, uh, Poland Springs and all that. We have some good water in this country. We really do. We should drink a lot of water. Uh, but, but in his case, I think, you know, he was maybe saying, put some wine into your water as an antiseptic, kill all those germs out of there, or, or even the alcoholic intake, uh, content rather, of the wine in that day, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, when Paul said the opposite. Dr. Timothy said the bishop must not be given to wine. And this. So people struggle with the Bible and say there's contradictions in the Bible, but they just got to look at the context the context here is a sick man, and that's about as far as medicine was developed in those days, is that, that this could help your stomach. So um, that was just personal instruction, verse 23. And, and I'm glad these personal things are in the Bible so we, we can see that these people were like human. You know what I mean? They're like human beings. Anyways, let's quickly go on. It talks about uh, verses 24 and 25. Some men's sins are open beforehand. They get caught. Numbers 20, uh, 32, 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. Some people can hide it. But it's going to get exposed in the future. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand. And they that are otherwise cannot be hid. And so there's going to be a judgment someday. And uh, it's all going to be revealed. Now thank God for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But, um, uh, well, I think I'll end with that. Um, We have some verses here about, a lot of verses I got, I didn't get to about how we're going to be judged for our works, not our sins. Jesus was judged for our sins back on Calvary. But it just turns out that a lot of our works are evil. Our works are bad. And there's verses that say at the judgment, he's going to judge our works whether they're good or evil. And judge our works whether they're good or bad. So uh, we got we got to still walk the straight and narrow. You'll never regret that. And you'll be happy doing it too. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this chapter. Thank you for insights into the ministry back then. Lord, we do pray for that family atmosphere here at Faith Bible Baptist where we would treat every older man like a dad, every older woman like a mother, all the younger women with purity and that they would have complete confidence to come to the house of God and all the younger men as brethren. And Lord, help us not to say, oh good, we don't have to help widows because we still can help them. As uh, so often they have very little, even in our day, Uh, Lord, give us a, a heart for them. Just bless the word wherever you spoke to us. 
Uh, we pray it would reside upon our hearts and not fall to the ground, the truth. Help the ladies to take this as a, a guideline uh, for how they should live, things they should do uh, in the church and in the community. And now dismiss us with thy blessing. Help us these cold days coming up to be safe and uh, still to bear fruit in this winter. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.